0: Now, if we go back to our text in Matthew 4, uh, some of these things that Christ says take on some added significance when you consider the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is the Lord. Now, you know, he he can quote these verses in the sense that he, as the Son, uh, should not tempt God the Father. But what do you have going on here? Here you have Satan himself speaking to The Lord, incarnated in human flesh, tempting him. And so it's, it's not just a, it's not just a, uh, you know, Christ, Christ talking about what he should do, but it's a rebuke of the devil. Because here's the devil tempting the Lord God in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, uh, he, he quotes that scripture. Now the last, the last point where Satan is going to tempt him is in verse 8, where it says, again, the devil taketh him up, into an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and you know here here the the Bible critic comes along and they say, See the Bible is just just a book of mythology. It would not be possible to take the Lord up into a mountain and and have him see all the kingdoms of the earth right that wouldn't be even possible um, of course, you know. They make some assumptions in that criticism. One thing is it doesn't tell you what mountain he takes him up into here. I think it's possible that the mountain that he takes him to is not, uh, you know, it's not, uh, Mount, Mount Zion or, you know, a mountain here on the earth. There's a mountain that the scripture describes in heaven called the Mount of the Congregation where the angelic host gather together and, and congregate. And I think that could be the mountain it describes here. But but either way, if you compare this with the passage over in Luke, it says he showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Now, there's there's no place, I mean, whether the mountain is a mountain here on earth or a mountain up in, in uh, heaven, uh, there's no place where you could physically go and see all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Right? I mean, even if you were somewhere out in space, you would see the earth, but you'd only see half the earth. And and it's not required here that he is physically showing him those kingdoms. Uh, This this certainly could be a a vision or something like that. But the point is, he sees the kingdoms of the earth and he sees the glory of those kingdoms. And what the devil says to him, he says in verse 9, And saith unto him, all these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me." Now what you see here from Christ is he does not dispute the, uh, legitimate offer here of those kingdoms of the world. Again, Satan is referred to as the God of this world. He's referred to, you go back into the Old Testament and, and he's referred to as the King of Babylon. He's referred to as the King of Tyrus. Right? There's a, there's a King of this world. There's these kingdoms of of the world that he shows to Christ are under Satan's dominion. In fact, Satan's really been the king of this world uh from from the point that he convinced Satan to dis, or that Satan convinced uh, Adam to disobey God and to obey him. That dominion that was given to Adam comes to to work for Satan's benefit, right? And he's the god of this world, and he owns the kingdoms of this world, and he can make the offer here to to Jesus Christ that I will give you these kingdoms if you just fall down and worship me. Now, remember we're here in the book of Matthew that focuses on Christ as the king. Is there going to come a point in time when Christ is going to possess all of the kingdoms of this world? Absolutely there is. Uh, essentially what what Satan is uh, trying to convince Christ of here is is not something that is, you know ultimately, Evil. I mean, would it be a good thing for all the kingdoms of this world to belong to Christ? Certainly, it would be. But what he what he's saying is, you think about you know where this is in in the flow of history. We know biblically there were some things that had to happen before Christ could take all of the kingdoms of this world into his possession. Before he could have the crown, there had to be a cross. And so Satan is saying, hey, let's just let's just skip all of this. Let's just skip you know all these things that are that are coming up and. I'll just make you the king right now. I'll hand it all over to you. Just fall down and worship me. And, and again, what you see in, in these temptations that uh, Satan uses with Christ, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't tempt just some base instincts or, or something like that. He's tempting Christ in those areas regarding his power, his position as the Son of God, And as, as the Christ, right? Saying, use your power as the Son of God to cause these stones to be made bread. Here, use this promise that you have specifically from God that He's not going to allow you even to dash your foot upon a stone. Here, become, you become the King. All you have to do is fall down and worship Me. And Christ, again, responds with scripture. This time it's from Deuteronomy 10 verse 20. He says, get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and Him only shalt thou serve. Deuteronomy 10, verse 20. This is a, a section of the book of Deuteronomy that is giving just a you know a bunch of different commandments in in order here. Uh, if we start you now, if we start down around verse 16, uh, for instance, it says, "Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no more stiff-necked." For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, a great God, a mighty and a terrible, which regardeth not persons, nor taketh reward. He doth execute the judgment of the fatherless and widow, and loveth the stranger in giving him food and raiment. Love ye therefore the stranger, for ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God. Him shalt thou serve, and to him shalt thou cleave, and swear by His name. He is thy praise, and He is thy God. That hath done for thee these great and terrible things which thine eyes have seen. And you see, there's a there's a position that belongs legitimately only to the Lord God. He is, uh, you know, the Lord God is is before all things. He's the He's the creator of the very devil that here is tempting Christ. And Christ, as as the Lord God, as the creator, again it, it says that by Christ. All things consist. He is before all things. And so here's the very creator of the devil himself. And, and the devil saying, you bow down and worship me. And you know, that's, that's the lie that you see out uh, throughout the Bible is that the, the created thing tries to make itself God rather than worshiping and serving the creator. And so here, a created being, the devil, says to his Creator, the Lord Jesus Christ, the second member of the Godhead, fall down and worship me. What a, what a strange thing. I mean, if you can imagine. I mean, as, as odd as it is for, you know, you think, you think of how men take and create idols and the, and the Bible often points out this, this irony. You know, a, a man will go and take a piece of wood or a piece of metal and, and make it in, into an idol and, and bow down to it you know that's that's a that's somebody being willingly ignorant i mean just reason it's, itself should tell you that's a pretty ridiculous thing that for you to make something and then worship it as your god but can you imagine making something and then having that thing demand that you worship it as god that's what's happening here and and so again we see kind of that that double meaning in the scripture that christ quotes that he certainly the only one he's going to worship is god the father But not only that, the devil should be worshiping him. The devil should be falling down and worshiping Christ, who is the Lord his God. And yet, here he is calling on him to to worship him. Um, There's there's some interesting things about these points in which the devil tempts Christ. Uh, go Go over to 1 John chapter 2. There's a passage here in John's first epistle that gives you a, a good picture of man's makeup as well as the, the corruption of mankind. First John, first John chapter 2, if we start in verse 15, it says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever." And see how verse 16 describes the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. You know, man has a, a spirit, a soul, and a body. There's three parts of us. And there's a, a correlation between those different types of, of lust there and temptation there. Lust of the eyes, lust lust of the flesh, the pride of life, and those three parts of man. And, and in fact, um, you know, if you... If you go, just keep those three things in mind. Go back to Genesis chapter 3. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. You know, there's some some important comparisons to be made here between Satan in Genesis 3 tempting Eve to take of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the temptation of Christ in, in uh, Matthew chapter 4. And in Genesis 3, we don't need to read the whole account of of the devil uh, tempting Eve, but I want you to notice verse 6. Notice what it says. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, there's the lust of the flesh, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, lust of the eyes, and a tree to, to be desired to make one wise, there's the pride of life, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her. And he did eat. And you know, there in Genesis 3, um, Satan's ultimate goal was not to get Eve to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was to get Adam to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He knew that the way to do that was to get Eve to do it. And and he he uh, tempts her there uh, in very similar ways to the way he tempts Christ. He He quotes Scripture to her and does that kind of thing. But you see, you, you kind of see her thought process there in verse 6. It records her thought process and, and she thinks it's good for food. It's a, it's, it looks good to the eyes and it'll make me wise. And she makes that, that decision. Uh, You know, these, these uh, temptations of Christ here that we're looking at in Matthew 4, in, in Luke's account, they're in a different order. In Luke's account, they're in an order that really matches this order that we see here in Genesis 3 and in 1 John 2, uh, because the, the, the last two are, are switched around. You think about Satan trying to get Christ to make the stones bread, lust of the flesh. He, in Luke, the next temptation is he takes him and he shows him the kingdoms of the world and, and the glory of them. He shows those things to him, lust of the eyes. And then he tries to, tries to get him to test the Lord and to see that he really is this special person that the Lord is going to protect. Right? That pride of life. Now Matthew switches the last two around. If you go back to, to Matthew 4, so they don't match that order directly. Remember, Luke is presenting Christ as man. And so it's fitting that it would fit that same order that you see with, with uh, Eve there in the Garden of Eden and, and that description of... The world and, and man in First John chapter two. What what Matthew is doing is Matthew is presenting him as king, and so Matthew puts that temptation regarding the kingdom last. He puts that as as the last one uh, because right after this Christ is going to go out and he's going to begin proclaiming a kingdom. Okay. And so Matthew switches the order around. Now, some, some, some people would say that, I mean, I've even heard some people who think that these temptations took place on different occasions because of the different order. I don't think that's the case. You understand that the gospel accounts are not always chronological, okay? And, and the wording doesn't really require that they be chronological. And I think this is a, a case, I think probably Luke's is chronological and Matthew's isn't, or maybe the other way around. It doesn't really matter because they're they're recording the same events. Alright. But if we go back to our our text then there in Matthew chapter four, you see verse verse eleven, it says, Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Now, those three areas where the devil tempts the Lord Jesus Christ, those are any kind of temptation you're going to experience is going to come in one of those three areas as well. It's going to be the lust of the flesh or the lust of the eyes or the pride of life. And that's why the scripture can say that he was tempted in all points like as we are. There are sins that you're going to be tempted with that the Lord Jesus Christ was never tempted with. Okay? Um, you know, the the uh, Lord Jesus Christ was never tempted to break traffic laws. <laughs> right? It never never had that problem. Uh, there are specific things you're going to be tempted with he wasn't tempted with. Uh, but there's no area of your life where you're going to be tempted where Christ was not tempted. You're going to be tempted in those same areas. You're going to be tempted in the same areas that Eve was, the same areas that Christ was, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And, and probably a lot of temptations fall into more than one of those categories. And, and so Christ was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. And here you know, the Scripture says that you resist the devil and he'll flee. That doesn't mean you resist him and he immediately flees. He doesn't flee here after after Christ resists him the first time. And who knows how long, you know, what period of time these temptations are taking place over. But you see what happens as Christ continually comes back to the Word of God and says, no, I'm going to believe the Word of God, not what the devil is saying, and the devil leaves him. And the angels come and minister unto him. Now that was, that was one of the areas where the devil tempted him, right? He took that promise that angels would minister to him and, and said, you know, put it to the test. Well here you see the angels do come and minister to him. And it's, it's after that point now that Christ is going to begin his public ministry. Uh, you see he goes up into the area of Galilee. He doesn't go down to Jerusalem where the, the, religious and political center of Israel is, he goes up into Galilee. He goes up where, you know, the people who lived up in Galilee, you know, those who lived down in Jerusalem didn't necessarily have a lot of respect for those people up in Galilee, but that's where he goes, and that's, that's where he's going to begin his public ministry, and you see him say in verse 17, from that time Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, the devil had just tempted him, say, I'll, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. But he comes proclaiming a different kingdom. He doesn't, he doesn't want the kingdoms of the world. He's talking about a kingdom that's going to come from heaven. Now, it is a kingdom that concerns the earth and a kingdom that, you know, eventually is going to be physically established on the earth. But it's a kingdom of heaven. It's a kingdom from heaven. And he's proclaiming that it's at hand. Now, that's the same message that John the Baptist was proclaiming before him. John was preaching the kingdom at hand, and when when you read the word at hand there, um, one one thing you want to avoid. There are certainly times in the Bible where the term at hand is used to mean something is going to to come very soon, but that's not always the case. Uh, as as you read this here, when he says, "Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand," you know you might you might get the idea that he's saying the kingdom's right around the corner. Uh Of course, you know, here we are, you understand that the kingdom he's talking about is a kingdom that's established by heaven on the earth where Christ reigns as king over the earth. Now, we don't see that kingdom established yet, right? Here we are 2,000 years later in that kingdom. Kingdoms of this world are as much in the hand of the devil as they were when he offers them to Christ. Uh So how can he be saying that the kingdom is at hand? Um Get a, get a couple of passages of scripture. Go to, well, go to Luke 19, first of all. By saying that the kingdom of heaven was at hand, he is not necessarily signifying that it was going to be established immediately. And you can see that here in Luke 19, verse 11, where it says, as, as they heard these things, he's talking to them, uh, you know, all through his ministry, he's talking about this this kingdom. But in uh, Luke chapter 19, verse 11, as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable, because he was nigh to Jerusalem, and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. And he begins to talk to them about a, a delay that that kingdom is not immediately going to appear. And that's not the idea when he says it's it's at hand. Uh, what he's, what he's talking about, when he talks about the kingdom being at hand, John the Baptist, was, I mean, his, his purpose was to prepare the way of the Lord. And ultimately, who John the Baptist is proclaiming is Jesus Christ himself. And, and the word kingdom, you know, when we hear that word kingdom, we might think of a, a realm, you know, a, a, a nation, a, a country, that kind of thing. That's not always how the word kingdom is used. In fact, it's it's often not used that way, not only in the Bible, but just in, in regular speech. Um, the kingdom can refer to the territory that a king rules over. It can also refer to the position that the king holds is the kingdom. Uh, when you talk about somebody receiving a kingdom, what did they receive? They received a, a jurisdiction. They received a, a position. And often, when when the Bible talks about the kingdom uh there are, there are often times where it's talking about Christ himself, the person of Christ himself. Uh, let me let me give you some examples. Go to Matthew chapter twelve. Here in Matthew chapter twelve, Christ is speaking about a, a kingdom and he talks about his kingdom and he talks about Satan's kingdom as well. And uh, the context here is that Christ has been accused as he's gone out and he's he's uh, especially casting out devils. They're saying, about him, they're saying the only way he has that power is that Satan has given him the power. Beelzebub has given him the power to cast out devils. And in verse 25, it says, Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How shall then his kingdom stand? But, if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore, they shall be your judges. And notice verse 28. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. Now, what's he referring to as the kingdom of God there? He's referring to his, his himself. He's saying, okay, you know, if you want to argue that, if you want to argue I'm doing it by the power of Satan, then you got to explain how how your children are casting out devils, but he says you need to consider that if I'm doing it by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God in in the person of Christ is come to you. The King is present. He says it doesn't make any sense for the kingdom of Satan to be divided, that it would be opposing itself, that Satan would be casting out Satan. That doesn't make any sense. And so you need to consider that there's another kingdom represented here and it's come to you. The kingdom is here. It's at hand. It's ready to be grasped. Uh, go to, go to Luke chapter 10. Here is Christ instructs his disciples to, to go out through Israel and, and they're going to go into the cities and, and if the city, uh, accepts them, you know, they stay there and they teach. Otherwise they, they leave. And same thing with a house. They try and find a house in that city to, to stay. And he says in, in verse 10, Into whatsoever city ye enter, and they receive you not, go your ways out into the streets of the same, and say, even the very dust of your city which cleaveth on us, we do wipe off against you, notwithstanding, be ye sure of this, that the kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. Because they were there preaching the king. see. And one more passage, Luke 17, verse 20. Luke 17, verse 20. And when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God cometh not with observation, neither shall they say, lo here or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. Now, there's a verse that, that, uh, you know, some of the, some of the, uh, Theological liberals love because they say, see, the kingdom of God is in you. You just need to look in yourself. And the kingdom of God is within you. What's Christ doing here speaking to a bunch of unbelieving Pharisees and saying the kingdom of God is within you? What's He What's he talking about? Again, He's talking about Himself and He's not indicating that, that Himself is in them like we say Christ is in us. Here He is among this group of Pharisees and they're saying, okay, tell us, when when's the kingdom going to come? He's been talking about the kingdom. Tell us when the kingdom is going to come. And he says, it's not. it doesn't come with observation. He says the kingdom is, with, he doesn't say it will be within you, he says it is within you. And he's talking about himself there as he stands right in the midst of that group of Pharisees. And he's saying, the kingdom is here, right? The kingdom's within you. The kingdom is, is right here in your midst right now. And he's talking about himself. Now, the word kingdom isn't always used in that way. Uh, and, and certainly Christ talked about the, the kingdom that will be established on the earth. But he can say that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, even knowing that it wasn't going to immediately appear because the king is present. All right? And that is the, the content of what Christ was preaching there and what John the Baptist was preaching before him. That is the gospel of the kingdom. I, you know, sometimes we make the distinction between the gospel of grace and the gospel of the kingdom. And Certainly we know that the gospel of grace is that the Lord Jesus Christ paid the complete and total price for all of our sins on the cross of Calvary, that He was buried, that He rose again, and through faith in Him we have eternal life. as a free gift. There's the gospel of the grace of God. But even, even among people who rightly divide, you ask somebody what the gospel of the kingdom is, I think the most common answer you hear is you'll hear, you'll hear people say, well, that's that Jesus was the Messiah. That's not really true. In fact, Christ tells His disciples over and over again, don't tell anybody I'm the Messiah. He doesn't say to go and tell, tell them that He's the King or, or the Christ or the Messiah. The message of the Gospel of the Kingdom is the Kingdom is at hand. That's good news when you're looking for a Kingdom and somebody says the Kingdom's at hand. That's the good news of the kingdom. Now, the idea there was that they would hear that message and then they would observe what Christ was doing and they would observe the works that he did and they would come to a personal conclusion that he is the Christ. But that's not what the disciples were out there proclaiming. They weren't saying, believe that Jesus is the Christ. Uh, I mean, even even as late as Matthew chapter 16, he says, don't don't tell anybody I'm Jesus Christ. Don't tell tell them I'm the Messiah. Uh, But the idea was they would say the kingdom is at hand and... You know, the people who were looking for that kingdom, they would, they would be interested in that, and the idea is that they would observe the works that Christ was doing, all these things, uh, you know, healing the, the lame and the, and uh, the deaf and the dumb, and casting out devils, and all these things that were associated with the kingdom, and they would come to a personal conviction, a personal conclusion, that He is the Messiah. I mean, that's where He wanted them to wind up, but that wasn't the public message they were proclaiming. It was, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And, uh, and again, you see that it starts with starts with John the Baptist. That's what Christ is is preaching. Uh, now later on, when you get farther into the book of Matthew, Christ begins to, as as Israel continues to reject him, he begins to make it clear that the you know the kingdom, as far as it being established on earth, that certainly was not going to happen immediately. There was going to be a delay. He was going to go away and then receive a kingdom and and come back and that kind of thing when you get later into the the uh, gospels you don't see them saying the kingdom is at hand i mean there's a short period of time at the beginning of christ's ministry where they're preaching that and and there comes a point where the people who are going to believe that have believed it and the people who are going to reject it have rejected it and then at the end of his ministry he spends a lot more time taking his disciples aside privately saying You know, there's going to be a delay, and yes, these things are going to happen. Here's the signs, uh, of, of my coming. And of course, they don't, they still don't understand that at that point. But, uh, here you see the beginning of that public ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 4 ends with him calling some of the disciples. He, he takes these fishermen and he says, come and uh, I'll make you fishers of men. And he calls James and John and and uh, Peter there, and they began to, to go out and to preach, and these multitudes of people began coming out to Christ to hear what he has to say. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today. And I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.